are a W-2 capitalist. You are addressing the gap between your successful, fulfilling W-2 job and building wealth for your family through real estate investing. You are ready to earn, invest, repeat. Welcome to the W-2 Capitalist Podcast. Now, let's get to work. Here's your host, Jay Helms. I'm ready. Uh, hopefully. I don't know. So the only question I have for you, Mr. Young, is as questions come in, do you want me to politely interrupt you um, or do you want to wait to the end and, and do the Q&A at the end? I think it will be, I think people will be better served if we wait till the end. Okay. And um, we have, do we have 60 minutes? You actually have 75 minutes. So. Good. Well, let's do 60 minutes or maybe slightly less uh, of the presentation. I'll go into a lot of detail. Um, and then um, at the end, and you and I didn't talk about this, but um, uh, you will know, because you've, you, you've seen me do this before, there's a lot of stress at the end of the, of the talk because I've told you everything that is the right thing to do and then people start seeing where maybe they haven't done everything they should have done. So I will show a price at the end, but there's no way to buy anything. Um, I'll tell you what it costs to relieve the fear and the stress. And then we can do, uh, uh, my team and I will do one-on-one conversations with anybody that wants to explore further. Is that okay? That is perfect. Yeah. And I'm probably going to be one of those guys that explores further. I, I just know there's gaps and the funny thing is the more you invest, right? The more people invest, your situation is going to change. You'll, you know, a lot of people when they talk, talk about or ask specific questions, the, the answer is usually it depends, right? And you need to go to your CPA, you need to go to your lawyer, you need to ask them their advice because your situation is going to change. My situation is going to change. Uh, five years ago, I had zero kids and zero properties. Today, I have three kids and 330 units. Situations wow. change, right? So, um, world is different. World is different. So, yeah, uh, that is completely fair. So, folks, when you have questions, go ahead and pop them in the Q and A. Just notice uh, it, that we'll uh, get to them at the end. All right. Yeah, you bet. And um, anyway, it's great to be here. Should I go ahead and just get started? Man, I'm handing the floor over to you. Go for it. Okay, here we go. Let me share my screen. Whoa, so many things up on my screen. Uh, here we go. So I call this presentation Building Your Corporate Fortress. And did that fill the whole screen, Jay? It did not. We can see your entire desktop. Huh, that's so weird. It should have, well, there how's that look? Yep. Okay. Good to go. All right, guys. So thanks for being here. Um, my name is Aaron Young. I call this building your corporate fortress um, for, um, I'll tell you why. First of all, I'm not a lawyer. This is what I have to say at the beginning of every talk. I'm not a lawyer. I'm not a CPA. I'm a business guy. I started my first company where I had a payroll of three other people just before my 19th birthday. Um, I I will turn, for those of you that are watching this live, I will turn 56 years old on Monday, April 20th. And um, so from the time I was 19 
until 56, 37 years, I've only ever had one job. And uh, that was three years from 93 to 96, where I was vice president of sales of a very large multinational publicly traded company. Uh, I was recruited into that job, did it for three and a half years. That's the extent of my uh, receiving a paycheck from anybody else. Over that time, we've started over two dozen companies, built them up into, you know, from five to 15 million um, and just grown lots of companies. And then I, one of the companies that I bought, because I do more buying and selling than I do starting these days, one of the companies I bought was a company called Laughlin Associates, which you see on this slide. Laughlin was already 29 years old when I bought it. Uh, we went in and made some significant adjustments. There were about 80 employees at the time. We whittled that down to uh, between 40 and 50. We fluctuated between 40 and 50 employees. And um, we, we work with tens of thousands of business owners, about close to 48,000 current customers right now. But we're not lawyers and we're not CPAs. We're asset protection, we're tax and estate, um, from a corporate level, tax and estate planning. We work with tons of investors, real estate, oil and gas, uh, people that own franchises, movie studios. I met Matthew McConaughey last year and he said, what do you do? I said, I own a company called Laughlin. He goes, well, I'm your customer. And I said, yeah, I know that, but I didn't want to bring it up. So anyway, we work with a lot of interesting people and it's a great, great company that I own. And uh, along with my business partner and a great team over there, lots of clients, over 200,000 business owners and many hundreds of thousands of companies that we've formed over our 48 years in business. So I'm not a lawyer. So anything I say here, take it from a business perspective. But if you have any question marks at all, we would be happy to get on a call with you and your lawyer, you and your CPA and sort through things to make sure that you're getting the very best advice possible. Um, as I said, we're, we were founded in 1972. We're 48 years old. Um, we formed corporations and limited liability companies in all 50 states. We started in Nevada. If you've ever heard that Nevada is a good place to incorporate, and it's got very business-friendly uh, laws, that's true. And Laughlin is the granddaddy of that whole industry. Harley Laughlin, Mr. Laughlin, was the guy that worked with the Secretary of State's office to really create a great climate for small business owners or privately held companies in Nevada. And um, so I'm happy to have picked up that baton. But when I bought the company, we expanded to all 50 states. So it doesn't matter where you live in the 50 states or if you're an outside investor, if you're a foreign investor, wanting to take advantage of opportunities in the United States, we've got you covered. We, um, uh, we do loss of protection planning, uh, tax planning, state planning, we do corporate compliance services. Uh, we provide tons of education. Uh, we do complex strategies as, you, as your empire grows. So we're there for you everywhere from kind of, I've got this idea all the way to I'm ready to sell my company or pass it down to the next generation or go public or whatever. We do all that stuff, okay? So let's dive in. First of all, why would you want to build a fortress? I call this building a corporate fortress. Why do I need a fortress? Well, the answer is, and not to be overly bold, but um, Jake can jump in and comment if he wants on this, especially anytime you go into business, 
there are landmines everywhere. There are adversaries. There are people that want to take something from you. That's just how it is. If you pop up, I don't care if you have a little coffee kiosk in a parking lot that's six by six or something, and people drive by and get a cup of coffee. When your friends think you own a business, you're, you're a landlord and they're paying rent, you know, they automatically think you're richer than they are. And sometimes there's a small percentage of people that really like this idea of redistributing your wealth from you to them. So we don't want you to be in that position. We want to make you bulletproof. We want to build thick, you know, 10 foot thick stone walls and a moat and sharks and piranhas in the moat and you're wearing Kevlar bodysuit. We want you to be safe and bulletproof. So that's why we build a fortress because the fact is going to business just has risks. So whether it's coming from clients, you know, maybe it's a contract. See, I'm right now this COVID-19 stuff. I'm, I really believe because I've been doing this for a long time coming out of this. When we first started, it was kind of kumbaya. Let's all be in it together. Let's be now people are getting kind of restless. And as we go back, to work. There are going to be people that are going to um, get terminated. They were frustrated. They got terminated. They're going to sue their old boss. There are going to be contracts that weren't fulfilled. I look at all the, um, I don't know, I live by a big blueberry farm. I live out in the country and there's this 300 acre blueberry farm and there's nobody out there picking the blueberries. And if those blueberries don't get picked and get to the people that paid for them already on contract, right, that already have a contract for that, that farmer may get sued. If the person that's going to buy the blueberries and put them into packages for grocery stores doesn't get their stuff in and can't sell to the distributors, there could be lawsuits. Um, people get hurt on job sites. People get hurt, they slip and fall when they're a renter. There's all kinds of things. When you're in the real estate business, any business, but especially real estate, especially if you're a landlord, it's not if you're going to be sued, it's when you're going to be sued. And that's nothing to be afraid of. That's part of the business climate in the United States. Jay, would you, do, you, do you take any exception to what I'm saying for your group here? Not at all. Uh, one thing, you know, you say it's not if, but when, but one of the things that kind of came to my light or came to my light was uh, we had a property, had a huge pecan tree on it. We don't own the property anymore, but had a huge pecan tree on it. I was over there doing some work on it, which I'll tell you how far I've come from doing that. Um, I slipped on the pecans, fell down. Now I was fine. I'm pretty clumsy anyway. But if that would have been a tenant and they hurt themselves, or I'm using air quotes, hurt themselves, I could have been at risk for that. You know. So one thing I do want to clarify, because we're in the earlier discussions, there were some legal questions that came up, and Aaron, I misrepresented you. I, but I did say that, hey, Aaron's going to come on. He's going to talk about some legal issues. So I apologize. I was just really excited to, to hear what you were no, going to no, say. I am, here, so. I am going to talk about some legal issues, but I'm not a lawyer. Oh, yeah. I yes. And I want to make sure that was. Law wow. We, awesome. Lawyers send us a lot of business for the things we're going to talk about here uh, for the compliance parts. So but I'm not a lawyer. I can answer a lot of questions, but I'm not a lawyer. I'm not trying to represent myself as a lawyer CPA. So anyway, 
Suffice to say, being going out to engage with the public comes with inherent risk. And so the reason corporations and LLCs, limited liability companies, were created in the first place is to mitigate the risk, separate you, the human being, from the business project, from that rental home, from that contract, from whatever, to create distance so that, because as a sole proprietor, or some people think that a DBA, doing business as, is something. It's not. All it is is you get to use a different name than your own name when you do business. Aaron Young doing business as Young's Plumbing, you know, DBA Young's Plumbing. There's zero protection. There's no benefit in that other than from a marketing perspective. So the reason people use business entities like C Corporation, S Corporation, limited liability company is to separate themselves, the shareholder or the member of the LLC from the business itself. A lot of entrepreneurial people go, oh, well, this is my business. That's my rental house. That's my truck. It's my computer. But you want all the business deductions. You want all the benefits. And the first thing I want you to start thinking about is that separation, the separation between you as the shareholder and it, the project, the business entity. In the eyes of the law, a business entity, a corporation or LLC is a legal paper person. So it could look like your identical twin, but it's not you and you're not it, okay? So we wanna start to now get organized to create something that's going to keep you safe and make you more money and reduce your taxes and build an empire. So the key to all success, in my opinion, is to begin with the end in mind, which means you guys, I want to encourage you to sit down and think about, so all this stuff I'm learning right now, if I applied it and it really worked out just the way I wanted it to, and I could really end up, as Jay talked about, five years ago, no kids, no properties. And now I think he just said he had 330 properties So in five years. So if that could, if your portfolio, your investments could just blossom like that, what would that life look like? What would be the benefit of being in that position? What would that mean to you? Because people say, oh, I want to make a million dollars. Well, a million dollars means nothing. A million dollars is just potential energy. A million dollars says, I could now go on this trip, pay off all my debt, go be a missionary, uh, go build houses for Habitat for Humanity, uh, buy a really nice home, go into llama breeding. I mean, whatever it is that flips your switch, figure out what you're working toward. What would the project look like if it was perfect? three years from now. And whatever it is that you want to achieve, the outcome that you want, we want to think about it now. Who's going to own it? Where's the money going to come from? What, are, what kind of contracts are we doing? Do we, are we just building our own personal uh, empire? Or some people want to sell. They want their empire acquired by a bigger company. So begin thinking about that because that's going to make a difference. And if you use a C corporation, an S corporation or a limited liability company. A lot of people think, oh, it's going to be an LLC. No, not necessarily. Whatever the outcome is, however the 
the pieces of the puzzle come together will help determine which one of those will be best for you. But as I said, the key to protecting yourself and everything you're building is separation between the part, the, the owner, the shareholder, and the entity itself. The key is separation. I want you guys, I'm going to ask you to play a game with me from home. This will be the only audience participation until Q&A. But um, this is a, a phrase that in my live presentations, I, I say, we do this two or three times, and I get people pretty loud. So those of you that really want to get rich and be successful will play along. Those that are too embarrassed in the privacy of your own home, I wish you luck. I think if you can't do this, I don't know how in the hell you're ever going to go out and make a big fortune. But let's just try it. I will never know, but it's for you. I want you to learn these words and say this phrase. Don't do it yet. I am not the corporation. The corporation is not me. Say it with me. I am not the corporation. The corporation is not me. Guys, the, if you can learn this one thing in my hour with you, you will be miles ahead of most other people going into business or going into investing because most people think of themselves as intertwined. And as soon as you get that, that intertwinedness, you're screwed up. You're in trouble already. When you remember clearly, I am not the corporation and the corporation is not me, you will be safe. You will make decisions that are smart decisions. But as long as you think of, I am the corporation, that's my stuff, mine, mine, mine. As long as you want it to be all about you, you're in trouble. You will end up creating endless problems for yourself. And if you're ever examined, you're going to be in trouble. So learn this expression. I am not the corporation. The corporation is not me. This will keep you so safe. So S Corp, C Corp, LLC, they're all unique. People say, well, I just want, I want to set up a corporation. Well, you, these entities, it's, it's just as different as saying, um, uh, I've, got, I've got three vehicles, okay? Three vehicles. Um, I have a... Uh, I have a, 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 one of those little smart cars, little two-seater, little tiny things. Or let's use something even smaller. I have a moped. I have a um, school bus. And I have a dump truck. Okay? Now, the moped, the school bus, and the dump truck will all get you from home to the grocery store and back. Right? Um, you can go in any of those. Or, or let's use school. Let's use it if you have kids. It'll all get you from your home to the school and back. But if you're going to take um, a bunch of kids somewhere, are you going to do it on a moped? No. Are you going to do it? Are you going to pile them all in the back of the dump truck? No. That would be crazy. If you're going to move a bunch of kids, you'd put them in the school bus. If you're just running over to your friend's house for a few minutes, are you going to jump in a school bus? No. You're going to get on a moped. If you're going to go haul, uh, you know, seven yards of rock, are you going to do that in your moped? No. You're going to use the dump truck. You use them for different purposes. They all have a different job. They're not interchangeable. They're not interchangeable. They all do unique things. So we want to make sure that however you get organized, you use the right tool for the job. Holding real estate, holding real estate often is best to do in an LLC. But then you have to say, but who owns the LLC? These are all questions we can get into in one-on-one -on -one conversations. The bottom line I want to tell you is 
They all are different. And most people that form an entity do it without figuring out what the end result is. They don't have the end in mind. And so they just form whatever their dad did or their mom did or their friend did or they heard a radio commercial or something and they just did that. And they didn't really know why, they just did it. And that is okay, but it creates long-term challenges. So if you haven't done it yet, I'm going to give you some guidance on this, okay? Let me talk about C-Corp, S-Corp, LLC. C-Corporation is great for a one-owner company that let's say you're from another country. Let's say you're from Canada and you're investing in the United States. Then you might want to use a C-Corporation as your main vehicle, your main machine. Why? Because anybody from anywhere can own shares in a C-corporation, okay? Let's say it's you and your spouse that are gonna own the business and you're not gonna go out and raise outside equity. No, the other reason you'd use a C-corporation is there's a bunch of reasons. One of them would be if you were gonna go out and um, sell shares of the company to raise equity. Not, I'm not talking about loans, I'm talking about selling shares like a public company. Selling shares so you bring in money to do whatever you're gonna do. That's another thing that C-Corp is handy for. Um, if you have a whole bunch of business entities, C-Corporations can have different tax year beginning and end. So if you have a bunch of companies, sometimes you wanna stagger the, the um, tax year so that you can move money between companies and defer taxes for a little while. So those are some reasons you might use a C-corporation. S-corporation is great if it's you and your spouse, you and your spouse, because you can both own shares. And not, I'm not talking about you and your kid, you and your parent. I'm talking about you and your officially married spouse. You can both be shareholders. You can both get W-2 wages from the C-corp or the S-corp. You can get all the deductions, all the asset protection, all the benefits with simplified tax reporting, okay? Because everything, all the gains and losses, just whereas the C-corp has to do its own return, the S-corp, everything flows into your Schedule C. And then an LLC is great if you have two or more people that are not married who are bringing assets into the game. So if Jay and I were going to start a business together and we were not going to go public, we were just going to go ahead and start real estate investing or whatever, we may form an LLC and we're both members of the LLC. Now you said, notice I said two or more people because LLC, limited liability company, was created to be kind of a replacement for a general partnership. In a general partnership, everybody in the, all the partners were responsible for each other's problems as well as each other's successes. And that got messy if there was a big jury award against one of the partners. You might have a hundred doctors and one of them, somebody dies and they get a hundred million dollar jury award. Well, the doctor doesn't have a hundred million dollars. They've got a couple of million in malpractice insurance and maybe some equity in their home. So then all of a sudden that hundred million dollars got spread over all of the partners and everybody had debt now. So in order to get rid of that in the 1970s, 1976 to be exact, the LLC uh, legislation was very first passed in Wyoming and slowly spread to all 50 states. And the idea was to get rid of general partnerships and have a limited liability kind of a partnership 
where we're all in it together, but the most we can lose or the most that can be taken is just my part of the business. I can't lose my seat at the table, but I can lose my value to an outside judgment. Uh, and so LLCs were designed to limit my liability from you and you from me. But if we're a one member LLC, there's only one individual to be responsible. That's me, which means I don't really get any asset protection. I'm on the hook for everything. So as a operating business, my perspective is after watching these for years is that one member LLCs are not very useful. Um, two member LLCs are great. One member LLCs can be great um, to own property, but then who owns the one member LLC? Maybe a corporation does instead of you as an individual. That way you get the asset protection. But anyway, C Corp, S Corp, LLC, they're different vehicles that do different jobs under different circumstances, but they all have one thing in common. All of them have one thing in common, which is all of them are obligated by law to do corporate formalities. That means hold board meetings, keep minutes, pass resolutions, issue stock, manage the stock ledger, and so on. As the owner of a C-Corp, an S-Corp, or an LLC, you're required by law in all 50 states to document your major decisions. And for small businesses, that's a lot of decisions. There are hundreds of things that need to be formalized. And we'll talk about those in a few minutes. But what I want to talk to you about is two things in uh, our remaining time. So we've got about 35 minutes left of lecture time. If you don't have an entity now and you're considering being an investor or you are an investor, then I'm going to give you something right now that we'll show at the end. But if you already know you're going to want to talk about this, just go to www.meet.com. Aaron, A-A-R-O-N, meet, M-E-E-T, Aaron, A-A-R-O-N, meetaaron.com. That will schedule you on the calendar. And then we can either, I'll get on there with you or somebody from my team, but we'll get it. We'll, we'll figure out where you are right now. C-Corp, S-Corp, LLC. If you're already going, well, shoot, I'm a one member LLC. Am I screwed up? Not necessarily. Let's talk about it. Just go to meetaaron.com and schedule an appointment. Okay, that's the big offer right now is I'm making it available that we can sort things out for those that are serious about moving forward. I'm gonna tell you a lot more in the next 35 minutes, so just stick with me, okay? So C-Corp, S-Corp, LLC, whichever one you have, or if you're trying to figure out which one to form, or trying to figure out, is it even time for me to do it? You can go to meetaaron.com and we'll sort it out next week, okay? All right, now, but all those things have the obligation to act like a real business that is separate in its life from you. Separate, remember, I'm not the corporation, the corporation is not me. So the only thing that separates it is the is the formalities and when you do it right when you have a properly organized corporation or llc you get all kinds of benefits there's all kinds of stuff you can own and use and benefit from with pre-tax money 
before tax money. The company can pay for stuff. Matter of fact, a really brilliant financial person I heard speak one time said, individuals, people get taxed. Companies, corporations take deductions. So you can live this huge tax-free or pre-tax, not tax-free, pre-tax life where lots of things that you would want to benefit from can be paid for out of pre-tax you know, expenses of the business. And this is a very small list. I mean, this is hundreds of items long. But the point is, the only way you get it is if you act like a real business. If you take all the benefits, but you don't do what the law says you're supposed to do, and you don't hold those board meetings, you don't pass those resolutions, you don't keep your company good. If you don't do those things, if you're ever looked at, you're in big trouble, right? So we see as big, we get all these big benefits by being a business owner, but with those benefits come responsibilities, they're not hard, but you just have to know them and you have to do them, okay? So with all these cool benefits, asset protection, tax reduction, so tax deductions, tax credits, pre-tax life, all these cool things come responsibilities. And the biggest mistake in our industry, the biggest mistake, we see these people that went and did the right thing and formed a corporation or formed an LLC, the big mistake they make and I'm talking about 95 plus percent of small closely held companies. When I say small, you could be a $20 million company, but if you're the only owner, odds are you're making this mistake and you're breaking the law. It's not just like, oops, that was silly. No, you're breaking the law if you, break, if you are making this mistake. The biggest mistake we see people make is the failure to act like a real business to document their business decisions, to do the work that the law requires you to do. You know, every 22 seconds in the United States, every 22 seconds, a lawsuit is filed against a small business owner. 57% of all the litigation. Remember, we have 94% of the world's litigation. Isn't that crazy? I've, I, I read something recently that said we have 5% of the world's population here in the United States, 5% of the population, 75% of the attorneys, 94% of the litigation. And they said the same thing said there are more attorneys or more, more um, individuals in school saying they want to become an attorney than there are practicing lawyers. Um, uh, one statistic showed that by 2035, there will be more lawyers than humans in the United States. So it's a big problem, folks. So 57% of lawsuits are filed against businesses. I hope you got that was a joke. Sorry for all the lawyers that are listening. 57% um, of lawsuits are filed against small business owners. I was sitting I here trying to, to figure out. Go ahead. No, no, no. I was sitting here trying to figure that. I was like, how does the math work on that? Anyway, I was like, maybe, maybe it was a joke. It works here. better live. Then all of a sudden, I thought I should tell that joke right now. Yeah, there'll be more lawyers than people. Yeah. So, um, anyway, 57% of lawsuits of all those every 22 seconds, these are just against small businesses, um, are, under, are against companies of a million dollars in revenue or less. So, those aren't the big giant companies, these are small companies. 57% of lawsuits are filed against businesses making a million dollars or less in top line revenue, according to Bolt Insurance, second largest reinsurance company in the United States. Um, 
So we know that small business owners are targeted for lawsuits. Why? Because they don't have in-house counsel. They don't have big, deep pockets. People can come after them. A a commission-based contingency fee lawyer can come after them and just keep dumping paper on you. You have to hire a lawyer at four, five, six hundred bucks an hour to answer the commission-based, you know, ambulance chaser lawyer who's just working based on what they can get at the end of the rainbow. And it just finally, since it takes, uh, what is it like only 1% of cases ever go all the way to the judge, um, you end up just paying people off to go away. It's like legalized extortion. But when people think that you have something and they don't, then they see you as a target. The way you stop that is you show that commission-based lawyer that you're gonna be a tough nut to crack. Your business entity is solid. And when it's solid, that guy all of a sudden says, man or woman says, well, maybe I don't wanna do this on commission. Maybe I better get paid by the hour. And that stops most lawsuits before they really catch any, any momentum. So that's lawsuits. What about audits? If you don't document things properly, not just keep good tax records, but document everything in your corporate record book properly, if you're audited, they will ignore your entity and you will not get the deductions that you were hoping for as a business entity. They say, if you treat the company, and the the legal term is like your alter ego, This is just a shadow of me, the human. Instead of separation, it's we're kind of one and the same. When you don't do it right, they will ignore your corporation or LLC and you will get creamed with all kinds of chargebacks on your taxes where they say, nope, you can't have those deductions because you weren't following the rules. So audits are actually down right now during COVID-19, which is great, but there's a huge disproportionate number of audits against companies under 5 million in revenue compared to companies over 5 million. Why? Because they're easier to audit. You don't need a super brilliant auditing team to come in and do stuff. What you end up with is a junior person who can come in, find a problem quickly, get their, uh, they've got a quota they're supposed to meet, IRS auditors are, and they get in, get out. Well, if they see that your corporate record book is in good shape, they'll go, ah, their finances are probably in good shape too. What they're looking for is an easy win at the beginning. So you want to make sure that your record book is perfect because that's the first thing they look at in an audit is, am I dealing with a human or a business entity? That's the first thing, folks, believe it or not. And if you get penalized, if they say, nope, all these deductions here, you don't get to take them. You have to pay that, plus you get a 45% penalty, plus interest charges on the money that isn't paid. So it's very expensive just to have done it wrong, okay? So the formal documents, the minutes, the resolutions, the stock ledger, the issuing of stock, and so on, are the only thing that prove that you and the company are separate. And if you're ever examined, and your records are not in good shape, you, you lose the lawsuit protection, you lose the audit protection, okay? Remember this, I'm not the corporation, the corporation is not me. Please write that down, please remember it. This will save you from being like this guy, okay, in the future. This will save you. You won't be stripped of everything you've been building, okay? Because I'll tell you what, 
making money is only as useful and only as valuable as your ability to keep the money. I'm not the corporation. The corporation is not me. So when people come after you in lawsuit, they'll name the company and they'll name you. Or if they come the other way, like let's say you got in a car accident or something, they'll name you and then they'll name your company. They want to get everything that you have. And this thing that, that, um, where they try to go after you and the business is called piercing the corporate veil. The veil is the thing that shows that you're separate the corporate veil. They want to get through the veil, whether they're coming from you as a human into the company or the other way around, doesn't matter. They want to pierce the veil. Um, according to Wake Forest Law a Review, piercing the corporate veil has become the most litigated issue in corporate law today. Can you hear that? Every 22 seconds, there's a lawsuit against a small business. And the most litigated thing they do in those every 22 second lawsuits is They're trying to pierce the corporate veil. In every case, the plaintiff's intent is to acquire the personal and business assets of the company. And at least half the time, they win. It's the most litigated issue in corporate law. And at least half the time, they win. Meaning they get your personal stuff and your business stuff. They get all of it. We don't want that, guys. I don't want one of you to be in that situation. So that's what we're gonna do what we do. So small companies are the greatest risk because they're the easiest target. I've explained that to you. So what do we need to do? Okay, first of all, if you don't have an entity yet, if you don't have an entity yet, do the meet Aaron thing and we will sit down and talk to you about where are you now, what is your outcome that you want? What's your intention? And we'll talk about C Corp, S Corp, LLC. We'll tell you the pros and cons of each. If you have a lawyer, a CPA, you want to get on the call with us, that is great. That's fine. We're in favor of that. If you don't want to spend that money, it's okay. We've been doing this for almost 50 years. We know what we're doing and we won't take you, um, we, won't, we won't practice law without a license. We'll give you the pros and cons and let you make a choice but you'll have a very informed choice. If you do have a business entity already, what do you need to do? So once you get one formed, or if you already have one now, what do we need to do? Well, the most important thing that I need people to start doing much more regularly than you're probably doing it, because you're probably not doing it at all, hold board meetings, okay? Your operating agreement says there will be a board resolution written at or near the time of any significant decision. And in a small company, there's endless significant decisions. That means you probably better be holding a board meeting at least every month. Once a quarter, maybe if it's a pretty quiet business, once a year, if you go, oh, I do my my shareholder meeting, your shareholder meeting is nothing. All your shareholder meeting is, is you, the shareholder, reelects somebody, probably you, to be the member of the board. And then you, the board member, has meetings and sets the direction of the company and then tells probably you, the president, what to go do. Three players, shareholder, director, officer. In most small companies, it's the same person in all three roles. But you've got to hold board meetings. The shareholder meeting is a, is a formality that must be gone through. It happens once a year. It's a one paragraph thing. 
after that, everything happens in the boardroom. Even if the boardroom is only in your brain, even if there's no boardroom, no board table, even if you're the only member, you still have to hold board meetings, okay? And you've got to keep minutes. What happened on this day at this place, these people got together and talked about this stuff. The minutes are the memory of the company. This is what we did three years ago in March. We, this is what we were facing. This is what we talked about. And then once you figure out what you talked about, then you make a decision. But you'll notice it says board meetings and minutes are required by all 50 states for corporations and for LLCs. I'll talk about that in a minute. Well, let me talk about it now. Limited liability companies were originally designed and statutorily written in the law where they did not have to do board meetings. They were trying to make something simpler. Well, that's fine, but there's some, remember I said LLCs are designed to be an upgrade of a general partnership. So going back to me and Jay, if Jay and I decide we're going to go into business together and we form an LLC and we go about doing whatever we do, everything's great until it isn't. And then when we start to disagree and we want to take our, our toys and go to our own corners, our own homes, when we want to break it up, sometimes there's an argument. And if there's an argument, it ends up either going to uh, arbitration, mediation, or the court. And in all three cases, the courts have determined that we don't just go by what Jay said and what Aaron said. We have to go by what's written in the corporate minute book. That's now all 50 states have got case law. And the case law says all corporations, C-Corp, S-Corp, and all LLCs must keep minutes, you know, hold me and keep minutes past resolutions. The only exception to that is if you're a one-member LLC in South Carolina. So if you're from South Carolina and you're a one-member LLC, you currently are not obligated by South Carolina law to do it. However, you have no, you're, you're, you're what's called a disregarded entity. So you don't get asset protection and you don't really get the same tax benefits that a two-member LLC would get. There's a lot of negatives to being a one-member LLC as your primary operating business. I keep going down that path because it's so important for you to hear it. Anyway, what do you need to do? Hold board meetings. In those meetings, you keep minutes of what was discussed, and then you pass resolutions. We've made a decision. Here's what we're going to do. We've resolved XYZ. All right. That resolution is a permission slip that you give as the board of directors to the president or to the manager of the LLC to go and do whatever they're supposed to do, do your bidding. Okay. So that's it. That's a, that's the board meetings. Now, what are other common mistakes that pierce the corporate veil? Commingling funds. Oops. Let me go back to that. Commingling funds. Uh, I forgot my business checkbook. So I'll just write a personal check and um, I'll make up for it in QuickBooks. Or um, I'm using a credit card that's my name because I want to get the points and I'm only spending it on business stuff. And um, then at the end of the month, I get my statement on that credit card and I write a corporate check to pay the bill. Well, you just pierce the corporate veil. 
As soon as you write a business check to pay a personal expense, because remember, it's your credit card, not the company's credit card. It may be dedicated to the company, but it doesn't belong to the company. So as soon as you use corporate funds to pay personal expenses, you've commingled. What you would do instead is have the company write you a check or do an electronic transfer, and then you, out of your own personal bank account, pay your credit card. Okay, just as though you had an expense account because you were working for General Electric or something. You know, you'd turn in your receipts, you'd turn in your expense account, company would reimburse you, you'd pay your credit card. You do the same thing, even if it's a one owner business, because that's the law. It may seem silly. Get over it. That's the rules. That's the rule. If you want the benefit, you follow the rule. Okay. So commingling is a big problem. What else? Anytime you sign something, anytime you sign something on behalf of the company, you always use your title. And titles are president, director, treasurer, secretary, or manager. Or member. you could be member too. But really, it's manager of an LLC, president of a corporation are the most common two. CEO is not a title, not in the law. So somebody that has authority, you might be the chief executive. Remember, if you're a one-person company, calling yourself CEO is a little silly because you are the chief executive over what? Over nothing. Just be president. It's got enough clout. Okay? It's cool enough. It's cool enough. So just do that. Okay. Use your title on stuff. Uh, what else? Keep your company in good standing. When you let it go uh, out of good standing with your state, if you do that repeatedly or you're having to go back and catch it up all the time, the government looks at that and they say, ah, you know, you're not really taking it seriously. Super easy. Just pay the 200 bucks or 500 bucks or 100 bucks. Or if you're in Illinois, $1,000. California, $800. Just do it. Keep it up. If you're serious, keep it in good standing. Here's what most people do. They just do nothing. They ignore it all. I'll get to it later. I got to make money right now. I've got to fulfill. I've got to fix a toilet. I've got to go look at some more properties. I've got to send out all these letters, make these offers. I've got to go to a seminar. I've got to go out on a date night. I've got to do something else. I'll get to this corporate stuff later. And your corporate minute book sits, if you even have one, sits up on the shelf and just collects dust. And that's when you're just waiting for a problem. I would say, you know, you could drive a hundred miles an hour every day through the school zone. It will never matter really until what? Till you get caught, till somebody sees you do it. And then all hell breaks loose. Okay. So we don't want to be one of these do nothing people. So people say, okay, but Aaron, this whole corporate record book thing, like what's the big deal? Nobody's ever asked to see my record book or I'm just a small company. Who's ever going to ask to see it? Well, I've already told you, Every audit starts by looking at your corporate minute book. Um, going out and getting funds from a bank starts with looking at your minutes and showing that you're acting like a real company. If you go for a government uh, contract, they want to see three years of minutes and resolutions. Some investors will want to see that you're operating as a properly formed entity before they loan you money. Um, it could be something negative too, like going to bankruptcy court. Is it you that's going bankrupt or the company? Did you keep the separation or not? If not, if it doesn't show in your corporate minute book that you're separate, then 
all of your stuff is going to go down in that business bankruptcy. So that's kind of a negative one, but who's going to look at my book? Anybody that needs to examine your business to make a decision about it. Who's going to sue me? I'm a nice person. It makes no difference how nice you are, how rich you are, how poor you are, how new you are. It doesn't matter. Lawsuits are a default thing. You know, the government did a survey. This is about maybe 15 years ago. I, I read this very interesting survey. And the government asked several thousand people, they said, what, what is, do you see as your pathway to wealth? What do you see your pathway to wealth? Top three answers. Win the lottery, win a lawsuit, inherit the money. Not start a business, not go to risk, not invest in real estate, not go get a McDonald's franchise, not work really hard and save a lot of money. Nope. Win the lottery, win a lawsuit, inherit it. Lazy, lazy thinking. Now, you guys are not that way. That's why you're here. But the fact is, most of the people that are out there walk, well, probably not walking around the streets today, but most people out there, you know, watching TV, checking out Netflix, mowing their lawn right now, they think the only way they're going to get rich is to get it from somebody else in a windfall, lawsuit, lottery, inherit. So when you say nobody's going to sue me, I would take exception to that. Um, recently, USA Today had a, one of those little sidebar things that says, if you own a business, you have a one in four chance of being named in a lawsuit in the next three years. If you own a business, you have a one in four chance of being named in a lawsuit in the next three years. So this is the reality. That doesn't mean you don't go be in business, be in business. It's easy to solve as long as you have everything organized, like having your right entity set up, keeping it up to date, doing your minutes and resolutions, playing by the rules. Nobody's going to sue me. I told you every, two, 20, every 22 seconds, there's a lawsuit against small business. I've talked about LLCs. Um, this is one court case in um, Massachusetts that talked about uh, even a one-member LLC having their corporate veil pierced. I'll never get audited. I talked to you about audits already. Um, I hope you never get audited. Audits suck. They're no fun. They're stressful. And even if you win an audit or even if you win a lawsuit, you kind of lose because it costs you money, time, sleepless nights, stress, lack of focus on other things. Audits and lawsuits are sucky, but we want to do is stop them before they start, before they escalate. I'm going to have my lawyer maintain my documents. I'm going to have my lawyer do it. Well, I'm not going to call complete BS on that one, but here's what I know about entrepreneurs. They don't like to spend money on lawyers and lawyers don't want to do your documents. That's why so many of them send that work on a wholesale level to us, to our team, because they don't want that work. They don't want to do documents. They want to do contracts. They want to do, you know, negotiations. They want to build huge billable hours. They don't want to do minutes and resolutions for you. So when people say, oh yeah, my lawyer does it. I'm like, ah, that's probably a, a lie that you tell yourself. It's okay with me if you're happy with it. Um, I don't care. I've got 48,000 customers. If, if somebody wants to fool themselves, they will end up coming back to me 
down the road, what I call event-driven. In other words, they, they pretended everything was okay. Then they went through something horrible, a business breakup, a divorce, a lawsuit, an audit, uh, a natural, something bad happens and they get their, they get creamed in it. And then they come back and go, oh my gosh, I can never let that happen again. And they come back to us. So all my lawyers do it. Eh, maybe not. Now, there are some legitimate do-it-yourselfers out there. I'll do it myself. Okay, I think that's fair. And there are some really, you can do this yourself. You don't need us or somebody else to do it for you. But you do need to learn what needs to be documented, how to write it, how to do it, and then have the discipline to do it. But for the do-it-yourselfers, of the hundreds and hundreds of things that need to be documented, I've taken just the most common ones. And the next slide, and I don't want you to try to take a picture of it or write it down because you won't be able to do it. Just watch the most common things that need to be put down as formal board resolutions in your corporate minute book at or near the time. That's what makes you legal. So here it is for the do-it-yourselfers, here you go. So, are you in compliance? 95% of the companies we meet, and I talk to thousands of people every year, 95% anecdotally are not in compliance. If you fail to keep proper corporate records, and if you're ever sued, you have a 50 to 94% chance of losing your personal assets to satisfy that business judgment, according to Cornell Law Review, 50 to 94%. 50%, you know, it's at least a fair fight. 94%, that really, really, really is bad. So we don't want you in that position. We need to get the documents in place to separate your personal assets and your business assets to keep all of it safe and build that fortress around your personal and business assets. As a matter of fact, at Laughlin, our mission statement says we are fortress builders. We build a fortress around our clients' personal and business assets. That's what we do. And no matter where you are right now, no matter how far behind you are, you oh, I haven't, I've been in business eight years and I haven't done one record. It doesn't matter. It's fixable. It's fixable, but you must fix it while the water is calm, not during the storm. So no matter where you are, we can fix it, but you have to take action at some point. We have a service called the Corporate Veil Protection Service. We're protecting your corporate veil. And what we do is we, have a, we do it for you. All you have to do is get on the phone with us for one hour a month. Not one hour, not one hour. Take that back. 10 minutes a month. 10 minutes, maybe 15, once a month. Sometimes it'll be shorter because not much happened. Sometimes it might be longer at the very beginning because we're going to go get all those records caught up. Even if you're three, five, eight years behind, we're going to get all that caught up for you. We're going to um, ratify decisions that were made in the past in the proper format. We're going to maintain all, we're going to write all that stuff, interview it out of you, put it down in the right format, get all your records consolidated, create a corporate history, eliminate the risk of having 
anybody pierce your corporate veil, the IRS, the courts, creditors, or any other ne'er-do-well that wants to take your stuff, your money away from you, that wants to redistribute, let's stop the redistribution. Let's stop it. We're going to make sure we keep your company in good standing, streamline all your record-keeping operations, and we do it very inexpensively. It's the first year is $9.95, or you can do $225 down and $80 a month for 11 months. So it's a thousand bucks. That's starting, that's today going forward 12 months and today going back up to eight years. Okay, check that out. All you have to be willing to do is get on the phone with us. Now, what if you don't already have a company and you need a company? We'll do this exact same payment plan. The only difference is the first payment, the 995 is 995 plus whatever the filing fees are. So depending on where you live, that's going to be a different number. But 995, I'm sorry. Yeah, new company would be 995 plus filing or 225 plus filing plus 11 months at 80 bucks a month. You can go to meet Aaron and we'll sort this stuff out. Now, a new thing that we're doing that we're going to add right now is a value add for people who take action who are with Jay. We are doing what we're calling stay safe monitoring. So besides just getting the information out that needs to go down in the records. We're also doing other sorts of coaching calls with you where we're answering questions and helping you sort through the landmines of this stuff. So you can stay focused on your business and you can get all your questions answered or we can kind of even nudge you on certain things to keep you in good shape. So we're going to be there unlimited amounts of calls. We're going to reach out to you every month, but you can call us whenever you want. And either we'll help you with it or we'll aim you at somebody like a lawyer, CPA, financial strategist, somebody that is um, licensed to do more complicated stuff. We'll do all that. Okay. We offer a hundred or we offer when you become a client of the corporate bail program, you get $125,000 corporate compliance guarantee that says, as long as you've worked with us steadfastly, so we've actually been able to keep you current. If you get into a, a lawsuit or an audit and they pierce the corporate veil, we will pay up to $125,000 in legal or accounting fees. We're not going to pay your taxes or a judgment, but we'll pay legal and accounting fees if your veil is um, pierced. Now, we've had over 100,000 clients. We have tons of them now, tens of thousands right now. Most people, once they do this, they don't stop. We have an 87% year-over-year renewal rate on this product. A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau. 48-year-old company with A-plus rating folks with tens of thousands of clients. The reason we can offer this great guarantee is because if you follow the rules, your corporate veil will not get pierced. We've never had one pierced, but we're prepared. We have, we have the, the pieces in place to pay it. But my point is, when you follow the rules, the rules will protect you. So you get the monitoring, you get the guarantee, and I'm also going to offer you a comprehensive tax assessment for, we've had, we had one client that got $230,000 back by doing this tax assessment. If you own a business, you're almost certainly overpaying on your taxes. So this is a comprehensive tax assessment. It's normally $495. Anybody, because of the involvement with W2 Capitalists, anybody that signs up for the Corporate Veil program here over the next uh, week, as we have these conversations, uh, 
we're going to offer you that uh, tax assessment as well. Okay. Identify missed deductions, discover additional deductions. Most people are overpaying. We're going to do that. And I'm going to give you something I do twice a month called the freedom call. So it's 24 group coaching calls. I charge $500 for that. The freedom call where we have, I have to be honest with you. We have been making it available to all anybody in our sphere during the COVID-19 thing, but normally it's $499. If you go to my website, it's $499. Um, so I want you to know it. I want you to get it. But normally you'd be charged $500 for it. Right now, if I'm being completely transparent, anybody can get it right now while we're going through this. When business opens back up, we'll stop doing what we've been doing with free. We're just trying to help as many people as possible. So there you go, guys. Um, we can do questions and answers now, Jay, whatever you've got for me, I'll do my best to answer the questions. The old mute button got me again. Aaron <laughs> and do that. Yeah. And, What's uh, that? I, the old mute button got me again. I was sitting here about to start sure. talking and, uh, um, Aaron, I went and reserved a spot for next week. Uh, just a word of warning for everybody. So this is the second time I've listened to Aaron. The reason why I wanted to have him on this summit or in, involved in this summit is the things that he talks about. Uh, again, I've got a page full of notes here. There's definitely some things that I need to work on. So I, you, I went ahead and scheduled place for next week. So you and I or somebody on your team, we're going to have a uh, conversation uh, Wednesday at 530. But let's get. To I some... noticed my phone was lighting up during this, yeah. so <laughs> good. Somebody's been um, getting notifications. Awesome, awesome. Uh, let's go to some Q and A. First question uh, from Keith Minton. Keith, I saw that you donated to OUR. Thank you, sir, for your donation. Um, but Keith says he owns a couple of rental properties on his own. How should I hold them? Is a single mem member LLC okay, or and or LLC where my wife is two percent owner? Well, your wife, you and your wife are considered one member of an LLC. That's what I was saying. Spouses, if you're going to have a, like an operating business, operating business, I like S corporations because an S corporation, you and your spouse can, can both be owners. In an LLC, there's only your, your household, your estate is one owner. Okay. So, the other thing is when you take money out of an LLC, you can't take it as wages. You have to take it as a distribution. And it, it, when you're first starting out, you won't care much about that. But as you start to make some money, you'll want to take the money out in the most tax advantaged way. And self-employment tax, which is what you get on a distribution, is the most expensive way you can take money out. So, if you plan to make money with this real estate stuff you're doing, then you don't want to be taking the money out as a distribution. You would be better off to take it out as wages. Um, and once you're set up with a reasonable wage, then you can take it out as a dividend, right? And a dividend is the cheapest way you can take it out or loans. Um, you have to pay the loans back, but you can, you know, you can give very good terms on those loans. So the point is to hold the real estate, the LLC is fine. And, and depending on how much equity you have in the rental properties, you know, if you have, if you have very little equity, you could hold 20 houses or 20 units in one LLC. But if you had 
20 things that are basically you got like 3% or 5% equity in them. Then you have one triplex that you own outright and it's worth $450,000. I'd move it into a separate LLC because there's a lot to lose there. There's not much to lose in the things that have very little equity. So you'll hold those properties in one or more entities You'll usually own them in an LLC. Um, and then you will add more LLCs based on your tolerance for risk. What are you willing to lose, right? Because we want to assume that that LLC could get into trouble. And if it did, if it lost a judgment from that slipping on the pecans, right? The little kid goes through the second story window and breaks their arm, right? What, whatever, you could lose everything in the LLC. So based on how much risk you're willing to take, you will separate them. I don't believe in having every property in its own LLC unless you have a lot of equity in everyone. But I do believe separating as you get bigger, having your eggs spread out into multiple baskets. And then for you and your wife, if there's value there and if there's revenue there, if you're not still just feeding the monster, if now you're starting to get something back, right? I raise horses. We breed horses. And the first four years, all we're doing is feeding them, taking care of their feet, taking care of vet bills, just putting money in, putting money in, putting money in. And then finally, you can either breed the horse or you can sell the horse once it's you know, got some value. And then you get money back. But well, at the beginning, you're just dumping money in depending on where you guys are now in your real estate career, you may not need a bunch of other stuff. That's why we're going to talk on the phone. But the way you hold it is in LLCs. And then if there's enough value, maybe you put an S corp or a C corp as the, as the member. It's like the property management company and it's the member of those single member LLCs. Follow up question from Nick or excuse me, from Keith. What is the best way to hold your personal residence? Is it personal name, singer mail? In your own name. In your own own name. In your own name. And if you have equity in it, make sure you've got a living trust. You need to have a living trust because it takes, like in the state I grew up, Oregon, I think your estate only has to be worth like seven or $800 for it to go into probate court if you die, if you don't have a living trust. So get a living trust. It's not expensive. If you have assets, you need a living trust. We can help you with that too, but that's not what we're here to talk about right now. Uh, Brody Oaks asked uh, another member of the mastermind and donator. Brody, to, is that his name? Brody. That's a good Brody. name. I haven't yeah. heard that very often. What is the difference between having a lawyer on retainer versus having them as a, your registered agent? Well, on retainer means you're paying them something every month to answer legal questions. And the retainer sort of is, is sort of like... Um, like you're probably building up some equity with them in case something bigger comes. Because uh, I, I promise you, if you go over the retainer amount, they'll bill you more money. Um, having them as your resident agent, resident agent has one job, receive the lawsuit. That's all a resident agent does. They're, they have to be open eight to five, Monday through Friday, to receive what's called service of process. We provide that service for $159 a year. So we have... I bet we do $2 million a year just in resident agent fees. Um, 
at 159 bucks a year. Do the math. <laughs> yeah, no, um, I'm sitting here thinking how much I pay for mine. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you can be yeah, your we're going to talk about that on Wednesday. Agent, by the way, you yeah. can be your own resident agent at your own home. Um, and sometimes that's okay. I, I advised somebody to do that yesterday. But if you have a business, if you have people, if you don't want a sheriff showing up to your door or some somebody uh, serving, somebody that does serving, uh, knocking on your door at weird hours, use a professional resident agent. They'll know what to do with the lawsuit when they get it. Gotcha. Uh, Katz has got a good question. I love this question. How can I properly loan my LLC and show it's a loan from my personal account so it doesn't show that I'm just giving it to the LLC or commingling those funds? Well, it's not commingling if you capitalize your business with money. If you say, I'm going to take money that's mine and put it into an entity to what's called capitalize, put capital into it. Uh, you become a capitalist. Um, we like that around uh, here. <laughs> yeah. And, and um, but you and can you record it in your board meetings, right? What's that? And you record it in your board meetings. Yes. You, you have to have a board resolution to receive a loan, to even to apply for a loan, to make a loan, so if you're giving yourself loans or you're loaning money to your company, there must be a board resolution. And, and depending on if the terms change or anything, you need new resolutions every time you do it. So get, let's do the meet Aaron thing and we'll help you with that. Um, another one from, from Katz. Can an LLC uh, own a land trust? I don't know the answer to that. Fair enough. I don't know. I'm not a big fan of land trusts, by the way. Some people really like them. Uh, in some, some states, they work okay, they work well, and it's one of those novel things. People promote land trusts because it's a novelty. Um, most lawyers don't like land trusts. Most big firms don't like them usually. There's nothing wrong with them. There's nothing wrong with the land trust, but don't, anytime you think you're doing something to do a shortcut around the legal system, you're probably fooling yourself because the courts have things, they like to look at stuff they're real familiar with. And things get easier when, you, when they don't look like, even if you're trying to follow the rules. Listen, income taxes were never ratified, right? You could be a tax protester and say, well, that's not a real thing. But guess what? The government has marshals and prisons and guns and they will come get you if you're a tax protester, regardless of if it was ever ratified. So don't trick yourself into thinking you can get around something using a novel idea instead of using the tried and true methodologies. Cindy uh, Byler's got a question, and we've got about three more minutes. There's no way we're going to get all of these. So I, I want to encourage you guys to go schedule some time with Aaron at meetaaron.com. It may not be me, guys. It, 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 Fair it enough. often will not be me because I'm, I'm not that flexible in my schedule, but we have really good people and I, I believe you'll be very happy. But, but Cindy asked, uh, by the way, Cindy, I saw your donation to Operation Underground Railroad, so thank you for that. Um, Cindy asked, what is the difference in protection between an umbrella policy and an LLC when it comes to real estate rentals? An, an umbrella policy insurance um, will help you in dealing with minor issues. It also is a magnet to attract lawsuits because the more money there is to get, the more money they will come after. 
Um, I know several surgeons who've recently decided to discontinue doing surgery and stop paying their huge malpractice, reduce their malpractice, and go to a more concierge service because um, they're just sick of people suing them to get their malpractice money. Because they know they have it, right? Yeah, because they know they have it. So an umbrella policy is useful, um, but it's also a magnet for litigation. Yeah, yeah. Um, Pia Poole asked, if you are a one-member entity, would one of the corp options be better? I guess she's referring to an LLC. Or would you advise putting someone else's name on the LLC? Like I think I've heard people using pets or elderly relatives or something like that. I've never heard people putting the pets on the LLC. but that's a, Well, that's against the law because you have to be a human being. To, or, well, you have to be a human being or another entity. But um, here's the deal. If... You could certainly put a relative or a friend or one of your kids, an adult child, on as another member. It doesn't, if, you own, if they own like 2%, the law knows what you're doing and they just blow right through that stuff. So don't, that's not going to fly anyway. The worst part is this. If you get into a lawsuit and all, now they've named your child or your elderly parent or your friend in the lawsuit, and that, that individual has to get their own lawyer to defend them. Mm. And you're now paying both people's legal fees because you're not going to leave your kid or your 80-year-old mom, you know, fending for themselves. It's sort of not good. I, I suggest you use the proper entity for your circumstance. So along those lines, uh, let's just say somebody has a single member LLC. They're married. They file their taxes jointly. Mm-hmm. Should they name their, if they name their spouse on, um, as a member of that LLC, then does it provide a same level? Is that considered a multi-member LLC? No. It's not. It's, no, it's a spouses single. are considered one member. Yeah. That's going to get a lot of people. <laughs> yeah. Uh, if you, what I, if you're, if you're just getting started, form your LLC, hold your real estate, see if you're going to really be serious about this and get your legs under you. Um, just, just do that. That'll give you a level of at least some tax deductions you can't get now. But if you start doing anything or you start putting very much money and creating equity, besides the cash flow, you're creating equity. I would go form an S corporation if it's you and your spouse. Go form an S corp and make the S corp the member of the single member LLCs or multiple LLCs. Then you get. You get all the lawsuit protection. You get all the tax deductions. You can both own it, uh, both own the corporation. You can take W-2 wages out of it. You can have it pay for things for you. There's a million things you can do that you cannot do with a single member LLC. It just will make your life so much better. But if you're just getting started and you don't have much money and you're worried, don't don't set up a big structure that you don't know if you're going to actually use it. But if you're committed... Let's, I always say to people, one of the reasons we keep our clients is because we do what they need, not more and not less. We just say, here's where you are now. This is what you need. You're going here. Okay, well, here's a blueprint that we can follow and revisit, but you don't need to set this stuff up. Just do what you actually need and no more, no less. If you do less, it doesn't do you any good. You're just throwing money down the drain. I know okay. we're out of time. We, 
All right, all right, all right. All right I had to give a McConaughey reference in there. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, we, we are out of time, Aaron. Thank you very much. Uh, extremely valuable stuff. I look forward to talking to you or a member of your team next week. Everybody else, do the same thing, right? Schedule time. It's not going to hurt you to take a 30-minute pre-consultation call with Aaron and, and his team to make sure you're protected. Because I, one of the quotes that you said, I wrote down, making money is only as valuable as your ability to keep it. Love that. I love that, man. <laughs> All right, guys. Go out and have a good weekend. Stay healthy. Wash your hands. And I'll talk to you soon. <laughs> See you, Eric. Thank you Thank so you, much. Sir. Bye-bye.